The Disability Report with Karen Key. And a very good evening to you from this month's edition of the Disability Report. Well, this evening I'll be chatting as usual with Ari Sealis, National Director of the Quad Para Association of South Africa, who own Rolling Inspiration magazine, about this year's Casual Day, which is taking place on Friday, the 10th year of Quads for Quads and the E-Tolls Appeal Case. And then another proudly South African moment, I'll be talking with Richard van Us about prosthetic robo-hands, which he makes using a 3D printer. Jenna Lowe is an 18-year-old matric student who last year was diagnosed with primary pulmonary hypertension. Well, to be diagnosed with a terminal illness at 17 is hectic, and now, aged 18, it's become her mission to raise awareness of the disease so that others can be diagnosed earlier and have a better chance at prolonging their life. And then I'll be catching up with Helgard Muller, and he's a keen cyclist who left Cape Town yesterday morning to cycle around the borders of South Africa in an effort to raise awareness of amputation. Now, he is himself a left leg below knee amputee, which makes his effort that much more unique. And just a reminder, if you need any information about something you hear on the show this evening, take a look at the Facebook page, Disability on SAFM. Or you can email me directly on disability at safm.co.za. So that's the lineup for this evening. I do hope you'll stay with me and enjoy the show here on SAFM. The Disability Report with Karen Key. Well, as usual, we start the show chatting with Ari Sealis. He's the National Director of the Quad Para Association of South Africa. And this month, we'll be chatting about this year's Casual Day on Friday, the 10th year of Quads for Quads and the E-Tolls Appeal Case. Ari, good evening. Welcome back to the show. Corin, good evening. Thank you. Right, so it's quite a busy week. We've got Casual Day coming up on Friday. Well, what an amazing brand and what an incredible um, campaign in the interest of um, supporting the sustainability of the NGOs in the disability sector. And yes, um, Quasa is one of the humble beneficiaries, um, and the beneficiary base has been expanded this year as a result of the National Council for People with Disabilities in South Africa taking complete ownership of the campaign themselves and running it without an external agent. And so on Friday, you have the opportunity of uh, buying your casual day sticker, well, hopefully before Friday, and um, donning your civvies and going to work um, or whatever activity you're doing on Friday, and all in support of people with disabilities in South Africa. So, you know, we encourage people uh, to go to um, any of the, the retailers in the Ed Constable. Uh, that would be Edgar's, CNA, and others in the Ed Constable, and uh, to your local game store. Um, of, of course, you can get hold of your local disability agency and um, buy your sticker for 10 Rand and uh, show your support for people with disabilities. This is the 19th year of Casual Day. So have some fun on the first uh, Friday of spring and um, support nationally people with disabilities by, by buying into Casual Day. I know the theme for this year is go big. And I did suggest to somebody that if you couldn't think of any other way to go big, you could do so by buying a whole lot of stickers and going big by sticking a lot of stickers all over yourself. <laughs> Excellent idea. Ten rand a sticker. Yes. And a large proportion of that um, goes uh, directly to the beneficiary base. Of course, there's some costs in the campaign. Um, but, I mean, this is a huge brand. It's got to be the biggest um, national campaign um, uh, that I know of and, um, of course, thank goodness, supporting people with disabilities. And the 10th year of Quads for Quads. I can't believe it's been going for 10 years already. Yes. I mean, Corin, this is a, a project or an event that Quads is very proud of where uh, between 400 and 600 off-road motorcyclists leave Carnival City for Belito um, on the 26th of September. 
uh, for four days, a thousand kilometers, and then of course another group leaves uh, the next Thursday to go back to Johannesburg. The tenth anniversary of the event, raising approximately a million rand each year for the Quad Para Association of South Africa. But together with that, um, we invest hugely in the community. I mean. Um, just this week, we've sent a delegation through the rural areas that we are going to be riding, um, handing out wheelchairs, uh, soccer balls, stationary kits at schools. Um, so we do invest in the community and asking them to be tolerant of um, the bikers that come through for the ultimate um, you know, beneficiary being Quasa uh, and our project. So um, we've got these off-road cyclists who just love this this amazing event, so we give them a chance to experience rural South Africa on their motorbikes for a cause. So initially, the, it, you know, the brand is Quads for Quads. That's quad bike riders for quadriplegics. But of course, you know, any configuration of off-road motorbike or um, type of vehicle um, has the opportunity to, to participate. So there are a lot of two-wheelers. The course is marked. The, the, campaign, the event is owned by Family Adventures, Glenn and Corrine, who... Um, Man, this is just the most incredible uh, adventure um, for a wonderful cause. Are you riding again this year? I you? am. This is my eighth year. I'm riding on an adapted uh, Polaris uh, four-wheel motorbike. Um, so, you know, I can't wait. It is always tough, but um, for a great cause. And also it allows us to show that we've got some skills on with, with the right adaptation. We can, you know, we can mix it up with, with uh, all the other off-road bikers. Sounds like you're going to have a lot of fun again. I know you had a lot of fun last time. It is. I mean, it's, it is quite, um, you know, you need a bit of resilience and mm. it's quite challenging, you know, with the technical elements of some of the off-crossing rivers, over railway lines, through tunnels, over mountains, through ravines, the heat, the dust, you add it all together, but um, all with a smile on your face. And um, now to something a little more serious, the Etoll's appeal case. How's that going? Well, Corinne, I'm really hoping that <laughs> this might be the last time, or the second last time, the next time in October, I'll be able to talk to you about how we won the case. Yeah, we of course we're all we're hope optimistic. for that. Mm. The, 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 and again, uh, my last opportunity to explain the reason why Quasa is the second applicant against Sanrel, the Department of Transport and National Treasury, is because the e-tolling program in, 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 in Gauteng has not catered for people with mobility impairments. If you don't own a vehicle and you use a wheelchair or you have a sight impairment or blind, you're going to be totally paralyzed by the e-tolling program if it comes on board. And so we take the hard stand and we say that urban tolling is going to disable people with disabilities more than anything else. And I just hope that the judges in the appeal court will see our case of, of um, proving to them or that they will, they will read and see the facts that we were not consulted in this development of this program. Yes, they do brag about giving um, exemption, but the problem is it's around, uh, uh, the ETAG you know, e uh, is registered around a vehicle, and most of our people don't own vehicles. And so whilst the, the alternative transport methods and opportunities are not accessible, we are confined to using roads, and now they told them it's absolutely discriminatory, and we were not consulted, and hence we have to take the stand to stop it. And so I'm just hoping that all citizens of this country will realize that this is going to be a franchise and that this is um, an unjust way, in my opinion, of raising money for road maintenance. There are other ways. And, um, you know, we, we've explained those to the public. So please, you know, you've got to stand up for, for people with disabilities and just hope that, um, you know, sanity prevails and that um, these gantries can go away. 
Well, hopefully we'll have some good news from you next time we chat, Ari. I absolutely hope that that is one subject that you could hear a champagne cork popping in the background when you next hear me on air. And just briefly, when is, when is quad for, Quads for Quads taking okay. place? Quads for Quads leaves um, Carnival City in Johannesburg um, on uh, Thursday, the 26th of September, and um, the appeal course court case um, for the Etals is being held in Bloemfontein on the 25th and 26th of September. So it's all happening at the same time? Absolutely. Gosh, well, we'll have a lot to talk about next time we speak <laughs> with you, Ari. Right, well, thanks again. Pleasure. Good luck with Friday with Casual Day and have fun on the Quads for Quads. Thank you. And good luck with the appeal case. Thank you very much. Okay. I was chatting there with Ari Searles. He's the National Director of the Quad Para Association of South Africa who own Rolling Inspiration magazine. And some good news for those of you wanting to get your own copy of Rolling Inspiration magazine. They're now available at Pick and Pay Pharmacies as well as being sold by subscription. If you don't have a pick and pay pharmacy near you, you can still get your own copy by subscribing. And to do that, you need to contact them via email on risubscriptions at telcomsa.net. And you can also find them on the web on www.rollinginspiration.co.za. And if you need any information from the Quad Para Association, you can call them on 0860-ROLLING or take a look at their website. It's www.quasa.co.za and Quasa is Q-A-S-A, quasa.co.za. The Disability Report with Karen Key. Well, Robohand was established in 2011 when Richard von Us had a woodworking accident and lost four fingers on his right hand. Well, during his stay in hospital, he decided that he would create himself a mechanical finger to replace his lost digits. And this is where the journey began. And he's since been nominated for the Rockefeller Innovators Award, and he's even been exhibited at the Science Museum in, Lo- in London. Richard, good evening. Welcome to the show. Oh, good evening. Thank you. So, Richard, just give us the backstory here. What exactly happened and how did this whole thing start? Um, well, I cut my fingers off and <laughs> I tried to make the... Well, I made the best out of a, a, an horrific accident. So you decided you wanted to replace your own fingers, but you did. that's not exactly what you did initially. Well, uh, yes. I, uh, you know, I sort of came out of hospital. And I sort of jumped into it and started researching and, uh, yeah, one little thing led to another. Right. So where you actually started then was was somehow getting these prosthetics to... You need to explain this to me because I don't fully understand how this works. You actually use a 3D printer? Yeah. What we we did originally was we first were making these things on a a milling machine uh, manually. And then um, me and Ivan had started collaborating after what he was up to, um, being a prop master there in the U.S., making all sorts of, uh, you know, things. And he was pretty fascinated by hands at the time. So I asked him for some help. And then uh, my friend Mark Cowley flew me out, flew uh, Ivan out the side. And then we got together and the 3D sort of uh, printing thing came to mind. And we thought, well, let's try and see. And we contacted MakerBot Industries in the U.S., and they sort of had a look at it and said, well, why don't we give you two, one for the U.S. and one for SA, because they really liked the idea of the project. So how does this actually work now? People will send you a, a drawing of the ha- of a hand or the dimensions of the... Well, how does it work? Okay, what we were originally doing, or uh, people were making molds of their hands and shipping them to me, and um, I was making them around those. 
And then as we got sort of deeper and deeper into the whole 3D technology thing, people were having their hands scanned and they were just sending the files. And then, of course, that just makes it a bit uh, cheaper from the point of view if you print the, the actual mould of the person's hand and you've got it right in front of you then. I, th- I think this whole new technology thing, maybe I'm a bit too old to understand all of this. I'm sure the young people listening will know exactly what you're talking about. So you put the picture into the printer, and then what does it actually make the hand out of, this 3D printer? Okay, what happens is it's, it's electronically scanned, and um, then it, uh, these guys, uh, the 3D scripters, they actually clean up the folder. So when you get it, it's actually a, a 3D... Um, a 3D uh, sort of file which you can then print. So it's like a, it actually prototypes it, proto-types it. So you actually sit with the, the actual model in your hand after printing it. And then from there we work around with the thermoplastic and then I add the fingers to the coding. So what is it actually made of? What is the material that, it, that, that the hands are made out of? Okay, I print in PLA, um, and then you get ABS and nylon and all sorts of different compounds that people can print in. Now, these hands, I've seen pictures of them. They actually move. I mean, the fingers all move. It's a completely functioning hand. Uh, Yes, it is. Uh, It's it's quite amazing, actually. What happens with it is I find a point that I can atomically drive it with. So if you've got like a joint lift or something like that, I use that to then drive the hand or the missing part. And then the hand is for you, obviously, would fit the hand. And then is this something that people take on and off or when they go to bed or they shower or whatever they do? Is it removable or is it something that has to stay on? Okay, no, it's removable. So if uh, they don't want to have it on their hand, then they don't have it. Um, the idea with making it a complete mechanical device was so that, uh, you know, children and, and adults and stuff can actually shower with them and swim with them. There's no electronics at all, so, you know, no damage can come to it. I think the first one that you made was a five-year-old boy. Yes, that was Liam. Um, five, well, he was four and a half at the time, and um, that was our sort of Frankenstein model. It was all sort of uh, made by a milling machine and by hand, and then, uh, that was only later on that we got the 3D printers, and then, of course, we had to design that. 3D sort of thing, so that took a bit of time, um, and November last year was where we sort of were at, and we're off running. So now, but now you it's progressed from that, Richard. It's now it turned into robo arm as well. So you're making hands and arms for people that need these these prosthetics. Yeah. So you know what happens there is people come to you and say, "Look, I cut the whole wrist off, or the accident, or I was born without it, or whatever the case may be." So the need and the call for that then came, and I decided to move up the arm now. So uh, I'm right at the shoulder at this stage. So Gosh. Um, it's functional. The thing about these these prosthetics that you're making, Richard, is that they're a lot cheaper, I think, than people would ever be able to get them for from overseas. But now the problem is that to be able to do this, you need funding because most, from what I can gather, most of these things that you've been doing, you've been doing them for free to the person that you're making them for, and also, your your design and everything else, you've put that up I'm on something called, is it Thingiverse, where it's it's, it's open software? Yes, it's, it's on Thingiverse.com, which is a, an open source, it's like a big community, but anybody with internet can have access to it. And the idea was to 
to put it out there and people can make their own if they want to. And the whole design was never patented, it was never the idea, and we just put it out for free. So it's a help yourself thing. So uh, this is the most amazing thing. You come up with this incredible design, this, this amazing prosthetic device that you're making for these people. You're not charging them because most of the people that you're helping are unable to afford it anyway and then you still put the design on the internet for nothing for free so anybody could have have a go at making these things not that everybody would be able to but the problem is now that if you you wanting to continue this work and mainly helping people who are disadvantaged financially and yet there's no funding you're not getting any funding from anywhere no i think that the appeal to the to the general public and actually the whole world is is not being very uh, um, yeah, you know the the road forward is is is, is going to be pretty bumpy. Considering that I'm sort of um just about doing this full time now. With the, there's such a big call for this, but uh, you know, to do anything else other than robo hands seems to be impossible at this stage. And I mean, you're helping lots of people in South Africa. I'm sure people will remember the story about, I think it's Flippy, is it, who lost both hands when he fell into a fire, and you've just recently made him two hands. So you are helping lots of people locally. Are you doing this internationally as well? I do it all over the world. I sort of don't look at uh, race, creed, class, or anything. Um, you need a hand, and if I've got funds or if somebody else can help, then I make them. Um, you know, Flippy was a very special case for, for Oberhan because he is actually blind. Mm. So not only does he not have hands, he's also blind. And um, there was a great worry around it by everybody saying, you know, you might be wasting your time. And my thought was uh, try everything once. And it uh, turns out that the little boy can do, uh, well, he's, he's actually a young man now, actually. He can do most of what he could do before considering that he has sight memory so that he can pick up cups and drink and eat and brush his teeth and brush his hair so something that people would dream was for him prior to me going down to the Cape and making him set a hand. Why do you think you're having such a problem finding sponsorship or funding for this project because I mean you're doing incredible work here and I, I think we, when we were chatting before, you told me that the cost of one of these hands is is about five thousand rand. But if you had to buy something similar, but not even as good as this as the one you're making, would cost was it forty something thousand dollars? That's correct. Yeah, which is a quest to half a million rand in our country. And um, if you look at five thousand rand, it is uh, to some I'd have to say that it is unaffordable. Absolutely, um, absolutely. You know, um, if, if you sit and you look at uh, our, you know, our general population in South Africa, 5,000 rand is a lot of money. But if I look at what's happening out there where people sort of do what they do and, um, you know, 50 rand for them is too much to give to something like this, it's, it's uh, pretty scary that people don't care about other people. You'd, you'd think that companies would actually look upon something like this as a corporate social investment <laughs> project, you know, and possibly want to help with in that regard. Well, yes, I was hoping that somebody somewhere along the line would bump into Richard and say, oh, I think you're doing an awesome job here. Can we help you, you know? Um, so and possibly maybe it's, oh, it's too quick for the world. I'm not <laughs> sure, you know? Um, <clears throat> other guys have spent years developing this, and I've spent very little time doing this. And uh, I don't know, possibly they were trying to make it too complicated, you know? So... Um,
Yeah, I haven't had a flood of anybody saying, Rich, we'd like to help you. So now, where's all the money come from up to now, Richard? Are you paying for this out of your own pocket or what? Yeah, I ran an Indiegogo site um, to, with uh, MakerBot Industries, who sort of made a video and sort of jumped in, and and we collected uh, 100000 And what happened from there, by the time you get it into SA and everybody's taken their bank's process, we sat with 87000 and um, I had uh, enough money to buy a prosthesis for my hand to replace my loss. And then I just thought, you know, the costs and for what it was, we we decided, me and my wife, to put the money into something like this. And it seemed to have been successful so far. But to be able to continue with this, you're going to need funding? Uh, yes, absolutely. So the and and if people are wanting to get involved with the funding, it's it's you said Indiegogo dot it's i n d i e Indiegogo dot com forward slash project forward slash sustaining hyphen robo hand, and all these details will be on the disability report Facebook page. And also, if you want some information, you can always just email me directly. It's disability at safm.co.za or disability on SAFM on the Facebook page. Richard, just one thing I wanted to ask about, for example, the little boy Liam, who you f- was the first one that you made it for. Would this be something, obviously, you'd have to make him more as he grew? Yes. Um, what happens is on an average every eight months, they need an upgrade. But once you've had your initial hardware and you, you've got your... Uh, the actual thermoplastic and stuff. Um, it's a matter of just printing the hander, which works out to about 150 rand. So oh my goodness! So every time you upgrade, it's only 150 rand. Yeah, so you'd be like buying your your old pair of jeans every six to eight months. <laughs> well, they're for really cheap pair of jeans. Yeah, okay. <laughs> cheap as you can get a whole hand for less than a pair of jeans. That's incredible. I, this is amazing. I, I can't actually believe that no one's taken this up because you know the the cost implications are so much better than if we had to import these things. Um, you know, and and the fact that if you, as you said, upgrading them, it's going to cost you so much less than the, obviously the initial one. And as you said as well, people, most people in this country, probably the five thousand rand is a lot of money. But you know, there, there are other people out there that are looking to invest in something, and I think this is an an amazing opportunity. Yeah, you know, it's, it's not just importing them. If you look at the rest of the world, I mean, I've had calls and, and sort of I've helped people, countries that I never knew existed until their hand appeared. So it's it's, it's not just uh, the fact that there's the rand dollar or the pounds. Mm. It just seems to be dirt cheap all over the world. Well, Richard, I, I actually don't quite know what to say. I think you're an inspiration, and I think you are incredible in what you've 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 actually come up with this this amazing, these amazing prosthetics. Basically, as you, as you said, it was the hand, not the arm, not right up to the shoulder. You said, I, I'd hate to think where you're going next, but um, incredible. And as I said, very proudly South African, I must say, to know that you are from here and that you've come up with this incredible invention. And we just need to support you. So I hope the people out there listening who are looking for somewhere to invest, something to invest in, and possibly from a business looking for corporate social investment, definitely a really good idea to get involved in the RoboHand project. Richard, I have to thank you so much for your time this evening, and hopefully we've uh, sparked some interest in some people who will. I'll give out all the contact details and the website address, and they can go and have a look at that and um yes hopefully you'll have some uh, investors on board quite soon thank you thank you so much for your time all right thanks, thanks. Well. yes you too thank you richard good night okay. to you
I was talking there with Richard van Assen. He's the inventor of RoboHand. Well, it could be RoboHand, RoboArm, Robo... Gosh, we, the, the list is possibly endless. For more information, take a look at www.robohand.net. And if you'd like to get involved with a fundraising campaign, it's quite a long address. It's www.indiegogo.com forward slash project forward slash sustaining hyphen robo hand and it really is a worthwhile cause and he is doing amazing work and I think if you're looking for something to invest in this is definitely the way to go The Disability Report with Karen Key Well, imagine being diagnosed with a terminal illness at the age of 17. Jenna Lowe is now an 18-year-old matric student who last year was diagnosed with primary pulmonary hypertension, and it's become her mission to raise awareness of the disease so that others can be diagnosed earlier and have a better chance at prolonging their life. Jenna, good evening. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Karen. I'm glad that you've given me the opportunity to be here. Well, I've been sort of disturbed your studying. Oh, is that a problem with you writing two mock matric exams tomorrow, I believe? I am indeed. (laughs) But um, yeah, hopefully they'll still go well. I think I'm. I think I'm just about sorted for them. <laughs> oh, good. Okay. So, Janet, tell us about your journey because this all started in 2011, and you were a very fit teenager, did lots of sport and dancing and everything else, and suddenly you found yourself becoming very breathless. Yes, it started um, first just when I was exerting myself or engaged in exercise, and I thought I was just sort of losing fitness and that I should work harder and get back to, you know, um, my normal level and it didn't start off as anything too alarming but then throughout the months and it started going quicker and quicker, uh, it started to deteriorate until eventually just doing normal everyday activities such as taking a shower or tying a shoelace or walking from the car to the front door became a strain. Um, and I was, I was incredibly breathless but also incredibly fatigued. So we went to um, various physicians. We went to my GP and then we went to um, all sorts of experts. And what the general consensus that they reached was that, um, firstly, there was nothing wrong with me. And then a couple months later, we went again. And eventually I was diagnosed, misdiagnosed with asthma, which is very, very common with pulmonary hypertension. Um, and I was on asthma medication for about half a year, which made absolutely no difference. And in that time, I worsened substantially until eventually um, in January last year, I was diagnosed at the age of um, 17 with primary pulmonary hypertension, um, which is very different to asthma, which is what I was originally diagnosed with, in that asthma, you cannot take in the right amount of air, whereas primary pulmonary hypertension, you can take in the air, but your um, body cannot diffuse oxygen out of it. So the, the issue is more in the blood vessels, and it's basically characterized by um, severe constriction in the blood vessels of the lungs. So it puts strain on the right side of your heart and um, generally leads to right heart failure, but it also means that your oxygen saturation is always too low and drops further with exercise. So that's what I was experiencing. Um, when people were telling me that it was psychosomatic and that it was all in my head. Isn't it wonderful when they tell you that? It's just, (laughs) (laughs) you are feeling terrible and they're telling you, no, you must be making this up. Yeah, they told me I was too stressed and I was a perfectionist and (laughs) doing it to myself, which (laughs) was very frustrating. But Mm -hmm. it it basically, it highlights, this is why I'm so, um, so particularly attached to this 
idea of raising awareness because it happened to me and it happens to so many other people that their breathlessness is just not noticed until it's too late or they are misdiagnosed with things such as asthma and um, it, it really can, it makes such a difference because if you're diagnosed early with pulmonary hypertension, you can get the right treatment and your life can be substantially prolonged. But if you're diagnosed late, it can sometimes be too late for effective treatment and then, you know, um, it's a degenerative disease, so your life can be substantially shortened. The problem with calling it primary pulmonary hypertension is a lot of people get confused and think it's high blood pressure because the hypertension part, but it's not mm. that at all. It only affects the lungs in this case, not yes. the entire body. Only the lungs, um, which puts immense strain on the heart um, and specifically the right side of the heart, which pumps blood to the lungs. But the rest of the body, yes, the blood pressure should be normal. Sometimes it can even be low. Um, so it's not to be confused with that. It's specifically the tightening of the blood vessels in the lungs. This is more common in women than in men, I believe. Yes, but it can. I mean, that's, it, it doesn't only affect women. It is slightly more common in women of childbearing age, which is unfortunate. Mm. <laughs> Um, because it means that you cannot have children, so that's another thing that many people with pH have to face. But it can strike anyone, regardless of age or gender. I know some babies that have it, some people that were diagnosed with it at nine months old, and then some people who are very elderly and also diagnosed with it. So the actual diagnosis came about after you had something called a nuclear VQ scan? Yes. That... Um, Interestingly enough, that scan, um, one could call it the first step in my diagnosis, but the first step in the correct diagnosis was actually when the doctor, he put an oximeter on my finger and he made me walk down the passage. And the fact that my oxygen saturation dropped when I was walking was indicative of the fact that it wasn't asthma and it wasn't something to do with the air coming in, but it was something to do with an oxygen diffusion issue. So to confirm that, I had the ventilation perfusion scan, which showed that my ventilation was perfect, almost overdeveloped because of the months of asthma medication, but the perfusion levels in my lungs were much lower. Is, there nothing, is it not possible possibly to have a lung transplant? Would that have any impact on the condition? It is, um, and that's generally the final step for the condition. So the way that they treat it at the moment is that you, you start off with oral medications. Um, they unfortunately aren't really available in South Africa. We have Revatio, which is a form of sildenafil, which um, I know many South African patients are on, and often blood thinners such as warfarin. And then there are drugs overseas such as one that I'm on called Byzantan. And then you move on eventually to IV treatments, which is much more drastic, but can also be much more effective. And again, that's only available overseas. And then eventually, um, usually a bilateral lung transplant. You can't do a single lung. And then that will give you, obviously, however many years of life you can expect from that. So the cost must be phenomenal, though, Jenna, to be able to import all this medication from overseas. Absolutely massive. And it's also it's a mission to get the approval and to get um, the, the right importing pharmacists and so forth. Um, it's really, it's, I think it's horrific 
that South African companies and um, and that overseas pharmaceutical companies haven't registered the pH drugs here. I think it's because there's not sufficient market for there to be a profit, but I have a serious moral issue with that because the treatment really makes a difference between life and death. So, um, yes, it's, it's firstly really difficult to import the drugs. I'm the only person that I know of that has imported Byzantan, although we're trying to open up that pathway for others. Um, but also, it's it's really hard to find the money. It's um, really, really expensive. <laughs> so, so and so are the oxygen machines, which assist with the condition, and the mobility scooter, which I'm, I use, um, in place of a wheelchair because I can't walk very far. Um, and then IV treatment, which is hopefully the next step for me and is something we're investigating, has also never been brought in and proves to be more of a challenge than any of the oral medications, which is saying something. Now, you talked about the fact that there were not that many people in this country with this condition, which is possibly why the medication isn't coming into the country. Do you mm. know how many people in South Africa, more or less, have this condition? Do you have any idea? I mean, that I know of, about 60, but I suspect it is way more because of the diagnosis issue. Mm. I mean, in Australia, where they have expertise in pH centers, it takes, on average, three and a half years to diagnose pH. Wow. So in South Africa, where we lack a lot of expertise and we have no pH specialists or anyone that, um, that it really specifically deals with the condition, um, it's much worse. And I suspect that many people are misdiagnosed or not diagnosed for their entire lives. Now, if people listening are, are thinking, gosh, well, maybe that's what's wrong with me and no one could come up with a, you know, a good enough diagnosis, yes. you've got a website. It's jennalow.org. It's J-E-N-N-A-L-O-W-E, jennalow.org. Yes. They can go onto your website. They can read your blog. They can read your story, and they can post a message. I'm sure you would only be too happy to help them with information. Yes, of course, and there's an email address on there um, which they can contact us on. There's also, um, I'm now on the committee of PH South Africa, and they also have a website www.phsa.co.za um, which gives more information as well and that website also aims to compile a database of PH sufferers in South Africa so if any PH sufferers are listening they can also go register themselves there but really I would be happy to help and my entire medical journey is on my website as well as um, what I think is a much more accessible um, description of pH than you would find on many academic websites. Well, I was reading through that and I thought, gosh, I even understand this. So, yes, it is. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, we tried to demystify the medical terms a little bit because they were quite daunting for us when I first got diagnosed. So, so part of this of your, on your website as well, you've also got the Genelo Trust where you are raising funds for your treatment. And um, one of the things you're doing is with your sister, with Kirsty. Yes. With Christy, yes, um, you've Christy done a song. Produced a song. She has the voice of an angel and a heart of gold, and she is just the most incredible supportive sister. And she basically sings a song that I wrote, and we collaborated with the local South African band Good Luck. And the song's called I Need More Time, which refers to the degenerative nature of the condition because it's a critical illness. And um, yeah, so that's that's been a source of funding for me, but also a source of um, awareness and a way to build awareness for the condition. But the song is available for download on iTunes and it's also available 
for download via SMS if people SMS three double three double three and they SMS time to that number if anyone would like to do so. What you didn't mention though, Jenna, was that you sang it at Newlands at the rugby stadium for the Stormers. Yeah, Christy did. She was incredible. I mean, she she's only um well, she was fifteen at the time, she turned sixteen about a week ago. And, yeah, she sang it at the rugby stadium. She sang it at the Table of Peace and Unity for our politicians and religious leaders. And she sung it at various um, other events. She sang it at the Reach for a Dream Gala in Johannesburg. Um, And she's really (laughs) starting to gain support. Um, And we've had a lot of support from 94.5 KFM in playing the song. Um, and just generally, we're hoping to get more momentum with radio stations around the Cape, just playing the song and getting it um, getting it recognized. <laughs> and one last thing, Jenna, before I'm going to let you go back to your studies. I'm sure you're not in any rush to get back to the books. But, uh, <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> just one last thing. I think one of the big things with something like this, though, is the support of your family. And from what I've read on your website and on your blog, you have incredible support. You've mentioned your sister, but your mom and dad as well. Oh, they are just beyond incredible. Um, My parents donate so much of their time to medical research, to collaborating with doctors around the globe, and just connecting with pH giants and and, and really um, amazing specialists worldwide to get the care that I need. They will not spare any expense. They're just the most incredible people, and they have given so much of their time and effort to help me get what I need. Um, but they're also just emotionally such a support for me. My whole family, they're incredible, and my friends in school. And I've really just felt through this whole um, horrible thing that's happened to me that the community has been the one thing which has really got me through. And it's just, I feel so much gratitude for everyone who's helped me with that. And Jenna, after matric, what plans do you have for next year? Hopefully UCT. <laughs> oh, wow. What are you going to study? I would like to study uh, BSOC Sci, History, Psychology, and Philosophy. Gosh, so giving... I have conditional acceptance for that. So um, <laughs> if these exams and finals go well, then then hopefully that will be very, what I do. Very busy time. You've got to head for yourself next year with all those subjects. Yeah, and it, it is very tiring. Um Finding the time to study and etc. when I just kind of want to sleep much of the time, but that is unfortunately the reality. <laughs> well, Jenna, I have to thank you so much for your time this evening. I wish you all the best for those exams. Thank you so much for having me. Only a pleasure, and uh, good luck with your treatment and with your trust fund and with all the other, well, it's not, it's not actually a trust fund, is it? No, it's just the general trust. Because um, <laughs> trust fund sounds like you're one of those trust fund babies, which, you, <laughs> which you're not. I wish. <laughs> you wish. But thank you so much for your time. And uh, wish Christy, uh, I keep calling her Christy, it's Kirsty. No, no, it is Christy. Christy. It is Christy. Right. Wish Christy all the best with her musical career. It sounds like she's off to a good start with that. Thank you. I think so too. <laughs> and uh, hopefully um, there'll be people listening that you've helped this evening that will possibly have now realized possibly what the problem is and, and pop, pop off to the doctor tomorrow and go and get themselves diagnosed mm, correctly. I sincerely hope so. It's mm. really worth the effort. Well, thank you so much for your time. Good luck with the exams. And uh, thanks for joining me on the, on the show this evening. Thank you. Have a wonderful evening. Thanks, Jenna. Good night to you. Good night.
Jenna Lowe is an 18-year-old matric student with primary pulmonary hypertension. And if you'd like to find out more, if you'd like to assist in any way, you can take a look at her website. It's www.jennalowe.org. That's J-E-N-N-A. L-O-W-E dot org and she said there's now a new website for PH. It's www.phsa.co.za It's a pulmonary hypertension of South Africa. phsa.co.za The Disability Report with Karen Key. Well, Helgaard Muller is a keen cyclist who left Cape Town yesterday morning to cycle around the borders of South Africa in an effort to raise awareness of amputation. Now, Helgaard himself has a left leg below knee amputation, which makes his effort just that much more unique. And he joins us now. Helgaard, good evening. Welcome to the show. Hi, good evening. Where are you? I I couldn't say this is where you are because I wasn't quite sure how far you'd got already. Um, uh, I'm already uh, far. um, I'm here in Friedenburg. Gosh, okay. Uh, I, yeah. I don't think if it was me, I would have made it out of Cape Town yet. You know? <laughs> so, <laughs> we've just been a little way down the road. And this this whole journey is what's about 6,000 kilometers you're going to be cycling. Yes. Yes. Um, I already started uh, on Sunday. And then um, I cycled from Table Mountain to uh, Malkbosch Strand. And then, uh, then this morning early, I cycled from Malkbosch Strand. All, all the way up to uh, Langebaan, Saldana, and then Friedenburg. I hope the weather's been a bit nicer to you. It's been terrible down here in Cape Town the last few weeks. Yeah, we had some nice weather. Uh, but uh, uh, over here in Langebaan, we had some wind. But uh, yeah, it turned uh, actually uh, quite good. And from what I gather, you have an incredibly supportive wife, Hanli. She's cycling with you, is she? Yeah, no, she's my right hand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, she's... Uh, she's, uh, she's uh, Every every uh, twenty minutes, she she will give me some supplements and drinks and food. She's yeah. de- she's definitely a keeper then, Helgard. Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> so Helgard, let's just go back to the beginning. This all started for you in two thousand and seven when you were involved in an accident in America. Yes, um, I went to America in uh, April two thousand and seven and uh, to South Dakota to work there, and. Uh, um, after six weeks, I was cleaning a grain bin, a silo, and while, while sweeping the floor, I fell through one of the draining holes, and my foot was caught between the, um, the chain and the conveyor belt, and it shaved it, uh, the inner part of the foot off. So you obviously were in America, and you stayed there, and they did the amputation there? Yes, um, after a week. Uh, then I um, got an infection, so they had to amp- um, amputate it. And this, but this was a very tough time for you psychologically as well, because you you went through quite a, a bad, obviously maybe all would, but a very bad psychological time just after the accident. And then you were almost brought back to yourself, if you like, after watching a, a thing on television about some American soldiers. Yes, um, I was devastated. Uh, I thought my life ended. I was um, only twenty nine years old. Uh, about a day. Uh, before my 30th birthday, they uh, amputated my uh, foot. And uh, I felt like everything within uh, myself died. And I um, didn't know how to um, kind of, uh, recoup and recover after my accident. So uh, my brother came over and my mother uh, about th- uh, three weeks after my accident. And about uh, in my second month or third month after my uh, uh, accident, my brother called me and said, listen here, um, Elgard, uh, watch, uh, I, have, I have to come and look uh, 
a TV program about American soldiers who fought in uh, Iraq, who has lost both arms and both legs. And it, that made me think that I'm actually very lucky that I've only lost a foot. You know, it, it is, I mean, you know, I mean, obviously it's a loss. I mean, anything that you lose is a loss. And yeah. you, you have to come to terms with that. And I was very impressed reading some quotes that you, you've made in, in articles. And you, one of them was you said that my disability does not define who I am, my spirit does. And I think that's what comes through a lot of the stuff I've read about you is that how positive you are in yourself and, and that spirit of determination. And, you know, I will, this will be fine and I will make it and I will get through it. I mean, incredible determination and incredible spirit. Yes, um, I've I've been a lot of um, uh, uh, my whole life. I had, um, uh, went a lot of through. Uh, I went quite a lot of through stuff, you know. And um, I lost my brother. Uh, my father was in an accident. Uh, and he couldn't walk for more than a year. And uh, then we lost all the farms and all the businesses. And then a few years later, I lost my leg. And uh, and actually, it made me very stronger. And uh, it look, it, it let me look uh, different about life, you know, about people. And when you came back to South Africa, I think it was six months after the accident, um, you you said that you got a lot of support when you came back here. And just after you got back here, I was reading this and I thought, you have to be kidding me. You bought a ticket and went to Egypt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, um, I, I came back. And I said to my parents, I said, listen, yeah, I have to uh, uh, get my life straightened out. I, I have to go and think about all the things I, I, uh, I went through, you know. So I went to Daab uh, with the bus, and I started to walk up up to the north, uh, uh, to Israel's, uh, on, in that direction. And about uh, 80 to 100 MKs to Nueva. I walked within two days, uh, two or three days, I can't remember clearly, but uh, I got there and then my foot broke off of my prosthesis. <laughs> uh, and, and then? And then I, I, uh, I, had, to, uh, I had to walk with, uh, with my cane uh, for another three weeks before I um, got back to South Africa and for, uh, to get, get it repaired. And... Uh, you actually, you floor me. I mean, it's, it's amazing. This, this determination, the spirit is just absolutely incredible. And so then you come back to South Africa and decide that the best thing to do now is go cycling. Yes. And then I bought myself a mountain bike. And uh, uh, Miley, uh, uh, on that stage, she was my girlfriend. And a month after that, that I got my bike, she bought herself also a bike. And then we started to cycle. And uh, then we... Uh, do, uh, we have done quite a lot of competitions as well. You've done the August and what else? You've done a few others. Uh, yeah, uh, August, uh, quite a lot of MTN uh, mountain bike races. And yeah, that kind of sort of stuff. And so now what inspired this 6,000 kilometers around the, the borders of South Africa? Well, the beginning of this year, I said to my wife, after we finished uh, building a project um, in Balfour, I said, I'm actually very tired of just making money for myself, you know, uh, just um, every month it's the same thing, uh, um, keep paying bills and bills, and, and it's not actually uh, very um, satisfying. I said, uh, we have to change our direction in life to do good, because, uh, because when you do good to other people, uh, you, will, you will reap, 
and uh, I don't have money to give to people. All what I can, all, all what I can give is inspirational words, a positive attitude. And I thought by myself, I'm going to be the first amputee that's going to cycle all ar- uh, along the borderline of South Africa. How difficult is it for you to cycle, Helga? <laughs> Uh, I have to say, uh, it's, it's, it's difficult because I have to stop about nearly every 20 to 25 minutes um, uh, to take off my prosthesis and then um, get my um, stump dry. Because if I don't do it, I will get sore. Gosh, it is, it's not just as easy as getting on the bike and cycling from point A to point B. No, you have to keep no. stopping all the time. Yeah, I know. I have to stop, you know. So how... Make- how far are you cycling every day? Have you given yourself a sort of a time limit or a distance limit each day? Well, I hope that I can cycle between 100 and 150 um, um, kilometers a, a day. Because it's almost an August a day. Yeah, almost an August. Sure. <laughs> every day. I mean, people do it once a year and think that's way more than enough. Yeah, and you, <laughs> you're doing it once. I mean, you're, this, as I said, your wife's definitely a keeper if she's doing that with you. Man, I, you know, I, I love her to bits, you know, and I, I said to her uh, tonight, I said, this thing is actually going to uh, bring us more closer, you know, and she's so um, very, what do you call it? Supportive. Uh, uh, supportive? Supportive, that's the word. Yeah, very supportive. You're, you very, you're a very and lucky man, Helgard. I am, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me, you're doing this, you said you're wanting to give back to other people. So this is, I mean, the inspiration alone is huge. But you're also raising funds for, is it for the National Association for People with Physical Disabilities? Is that it? Yeah. You, okay. And how are you I'll, doing that? Well, I, 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 I try to make people aware and say, listen, yeah. Let's um, um, let's let's do good to other people who can't afford prosthesis or wheelchairs um, or any other equipment. I want to raise a minimum of five hundred thousand grand. Wow. So I uh, started my own website where I can um, uh, advertise it. So the the Western Cape Association for Persons with Disabilities is your charity that you're doing this for. Yes. Okay, and and if people want to find out more, you can, they can go to your website. It's helghartmuller.com. Yes. And then there's also the, is it a given gain uh, website? It's a givengain.com forward slash activist. Or it's a whole long thing. If you want that address, I'll put it on my Facebook, on the Disability on SAFM Facebook page. And also you can email me for that information if you want on disability at safm.co.za. Because if I have to read all that out now and you don't have a pen, you're not going to be able to write that all down. So just email me and I'll give you all of that. Or alternatively, just go to helghartmuller.com. And I'm sure all that information is on there, Helghart, as well. Yeah, everything is there. They can even follow me on uh, Facebook. Uh, the link is there on my uh, website, and even um, they can follow me on Twitter as well. That's at Muller Helcott uh, on the Twitter thing. Yeah. At Muller yeah. Helcott. And you're updating your Twitters and your Facebook stuff every day so people can follow your route? Yes, I've, I've just updated now this evening okay. all the photos for today. And just tell me your route exactly where you're going from where to where. Uh, to, uh, tomorrow uh, I'm leaving Friedenberg. Then I'm going up uh, uh, up uh, with the coast uh, in in the direction of Springbok. So so uh, I don't know which uh, town I will be visiting, but uh, yeah, I'm heading for uh, Springbok. And you sort of go all the way around and come back down the east coast, down down past Richards Bay, Durban, and all of that, and back down to Cape Town. Yeah, uh, but I'm heading uh, after Springbok. I have to be there f- uh, Friday for a uh, casual day. Oh right, yes, of course. Mm. Yeah, and then uh, after Friday, I'm leaving for Oranje Munt, and then in Oranje Munt, 
all the way down on the south uh, uh, south borderline of Namibia. I will um, heading to um, Uppington, Mafeking, Arsras, Pondrif, Messina, Lutrichart, and then Nelspruit um, reaches by back to Cape Town. I'm dreading to ask. I, I don't know whether I should ask you this. What is yeah. what's next? Man, uh, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. Uh, uh, I don't know. <laughs> I'm just thinking the Egypt walk now, the, all the Cape Argus cycle tour things, this thing. I, I'm just wondering, you know, has Hanley asked you what's next? I'm asking you what's next. Well, uh, uh, one of the ladies phoned me from APD and said, listen, yeah, what about next year we can uh, climb um, Kilimanjaro? You know? I said, well, I'm, I'm up for it, you know. Yeah, you I'll would be. It. You would be. I'm sure. We'll have to <laughs> phone you on top of the mountain and say, oh, God, how was the climb today? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're going to. <laughs> uh, if you go up, I definitely will contact you up on top of the mountain. Definitely want the first interview with you up on top of the mountain. Oh, uh, no, sure, you will. You are, I, I have to say I commend you on your amazing spirit, and I'm sure your your attitude and what you're doing, your drive and your, your inspiration is, is going to help so many other people listening to you. Um, so thank you very much indeed for that. Thank you, ma'am. I appreciate it. Gosh, and I wish you much success with your cycle. Thank you. And you're, just making, right. you're making me tired just thinking about it now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to take a nap now. <laughs> yeah, you need to go and have a nice long sleep and get up in the morning and go off and cycle. And uh, good luck with that. And enjoy a casual day on Friday. Yeah, you too, ma'am. <clears throat> Thank you very much. And uh, send my regards to Han Leah and tell her I wish her much success and luck on the cycle as well. Oh, thank you. I will do it. Thank you, Helcott. Have a good cycle and a good night's rest. Okay, thank you. Thanks Speak for joining too. me. Good night to you. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Helgard Muller is cycling around the borders of South Africa to raise awareness around amputation. And if you'd like to contribute towards Helgard's admirable cause, he's raising funds for the Western Cape Association for Persons with Disabilities, you can visit his website. It's www.helgardmuller, that's H-E-L-G-A-R-D. M-U-L-L-E-R, helgartmuller.com. And you can also follow his progress on his on his website, as I said earlier, or on Facebook or on Twitter. Now, the Twitter handle is at Muller Helgart. And there's also um, a website for his for the charity as well, but it's a long email. It's a website, sorry. It's a give and gain website address. And if you want that, um, it'll be on the Facebook page or you can just email me for that. Well, that's it for the Disability Report. Next Tuesday, the 10th of September, I'll be back with our monthly phone-in. And with it being Eye Care Awareness Month and Retina Awareness Month, we're going to be talking about that. But in the meantime... Oh, no, I'm sorry. Yes, next Tuesday. But in the meantime, I'll be back with time to travel tomorrow evening at 9, so join me for that. But if you need any information, as I've been telling you all the way through the show, you can have a look at the Facebook page, Disability on SAFM, or you can email me directly on disability at safm.co.za, and I'll have all those email addresses and websites and all sorts of things and phone numbers if you wanted to contact anybody. Well, I'm Karen Key. Thanks for joining me. But right now, it's over to Stephen Kirker for some late-night music. Hello, Stephen.